What's up, y'all? This is Dr. Craig Waleed, your host here on the Prison to Promise podcast, where I explore strategies formerly incarcerated people use to avoid returning to prison. On this episode, I'm joined by Brother Sean Oliver. Sean was released from prison after serving 27 years. Freedom has provided him new opportunities to continue his mission of helping others. Sean works as an at-risk youth supervisor at Jails to Jobs, an organization dedicated to helping youthful offenders through counseling and connecting them with quality full-time employment. This interview with Sean is chock full of jewels. Sean is a deep and compassionate brother who cares for others. You don't want to miss this interview. There's a lot in here for you to learn. I learned a lot, and I believe you will too. So let's go. Brother Sean, how are you doing this evening? Beautiful, brother. It's great to see you this evening. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, brother. Thank you for joining me this evening. I've been looking forward to this evening to uh, chop it up with you and um, hopefully uh, inspire some of our listeners so that they can uh, pick up some some great jewels from the brother. You know, definitely. I really like to just jump right in and uh, perhaps ask you to uh, maybe begin by telling our listeners just a little bit um, about who you are, where you're from, and um, what you're doing today. So the elevator bio is, my name is Sean Oliver. I was born in Freeport, Illinois, spent the majority of my life in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Throughout my early life, I had dreams of wanting to be a lawyer. I felt like because I could speak, because I could think that that was going to be a good career for me. Well, due to some bad decisions in high school, GPA dropped. My mother was always pressing me to attend an HBCU. And so in 1989, when I graduated, I came down to Texas and attended Texas Southern University from 1989 until the spring of 1992. In the spring of 1992, as they were saying in the streets, I caught a case. And when I caught a case, I stayed incarcerated. What? <laughs> I caught a case. And so I stayed incarcerated from 1992 until April 2020. Wow. And so that amount of time comes to 27 years, 10 months, and 16 days. And so upon my release, I came out with a mindset to do exactly what I've been doing for the last 25 years, which was helping people. And the first question that people would always ask me, what's your niche? Yeah. So bro, I really don't have a niche. I'm just used to helping people. They said, you got to find your niche. If you want to get this done and that done, I said, bro, if God shows me my niche, I'll fall into it. But until such a time, what I have a natural gift at is connecting people. And I love to connect people. And that doesn't mean that I have to be an expert in a field, but mm -hmm. if I just hold a conversation with people 
and listen to what they have to say. Generally, I'll run into someone who can make a better connection with them than me. And that's what I've been doing. And currently I work for an organization, a non-for-profit in Austin called Jail to Jobs. Mm -hmm. And basically what we do is we pay at-risk youth a wage to learn life skills and job skills. And the way that we're able to pay them a wage is we provide them a job within the network that we have of contracts and various other services that we provide for the city, for individual contractors, subcontractors. And that's a little bit about me. Yeah, that's pretty dope too, man. And I'm really just impressed by the fact that you did what, 27 years behind the wall. You know, it seems like shortly after you got in there, at least after two years of being in there, you found yourself helping people. As you said, you were doing that for 25 years, helping people. Um, and what, what happened basically it was about me. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm my only child. And mm -hmm. so all of my decisions, all of my likes, dislikes, they were built around me. And mm -hmm. I really did not realize how selfish I was mm -hmm. until I had myself to blame for not mm -hmm. only hurting my mother, but also hurting my fiance. And so what happened to me, New Year's night, 1993, is I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so nothing changed on the outside. I right. still hustling, I'm still fighting, I'm still doing what I do. But on the inside, I knew I didn't feel the same about what I did. And by the mm -hmm. time I arrived at what they would consider a gladiator unit, because I just turned 22. Oh, yeah. It's a bunch of fighting. It's a bunch of hustling. And I was like, man, they're going to love me in the penitentiary. I said, I can hustle. I can think. I can fight. Yeah. But what happened, my heart wasn't the same. So mm -hmm. now instead of plotting, planning, scheming on people, I'm like, man, that's wrong. I sort of want to help him. But I know the code. So how can I get around the code? How can I break the code? And how can I help him? And I began to become the man that my mother, that my grandmother expected me to be but because i had been so conniving yeah. so manipulative i didn't get that high-minded arrogant thing you know sometimes when people change they feel like they're better than people but me i didn't yeah. i was like man i understand the dirt i understand the grind i understand why you do what you do no matter yeah. how bad it may seem and so what that did is that gave me a voice mm-hmm and as my conduct outwardly began to catch up with the conversion that occurred inwardly, mm. I had opportunities. And when I would use those opportunities before to lead in a wrong way, I led in a right way. And something I discovered about mm. being incarcerated, there's a lot of prejudiced people who are locked up. And I'm not speaking about racially prejudiced. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people. I'm just going to use you and I as an example. We can eat together, hoop mm -hmm. together, live mm -hmm. waste together. But if I ask too many questions about your family or your sister or about somebody you love, you're like, hey, 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 hold on. And really what that is, is a lot of guys locked up, mm -hmm. no matter what the state is, although I did my time in Texas, we actually think of ourselves by our intentions. So I ain't that bad, man. I'm all right. Or, or the people I mess over, they deserve it. But y'all, y'all the criminals. And I never had that attitude. And I began to put voice to that to say, say, brother, y'all some disrespectful dudes. And I'm not speaking about this penitentiary. I'm speaking about the fact that really you look down on the dudes who you put your life in their hands, mm -hmm. whether you're affiliated, whether you're racist, whether you whatever. And I'm not like that. I'm not like that. In other words, you know, some of my friends say, man, if a dude do me wrong, you know, I ain't got nothing for him. I say, brother, I don't know about you. 
But I was a low down dude. And when I say that, meaning I'm gifted. And I say, if you say you're that kind of dude, who were you in the street? Yeah. Because the unit that I was on, there was a lot of violent criminals. And I never took heed to that. What mm -hmm. you mean by that? I'm not going with the rule. In other right. words, I'm not trying to be a rebel. But what I'm saying is, I'm not going to look down on people who they may not have done my crime. Because, right. you know, we have a warped, I'm not going to say we, but I yeah. had a warped sense of the kind of crimes that are okay and the kind of crimes that are not. I think that's pretty consistent across penitentiaries, though. So I think yeah. it's okay to say we, because most of us who've been in the penitentiary, we look down on people who've done certain types of crimes. But as we know, a crime is a crime is a crime is a crime is a crime. Most definitely. And speak, you sound like you got some experience. And the reason I say that, a whole bunch of these real people, oftentimes they be the ones telling. Absolutely. And all, and all I'm stressing is the reason that I get a little bit amped up about that because I would do that behind the walls and say, look, man, I know what it is to be wrong. I know what it is to hurt people. I know what it is. And so although I've changed, mm -hmm. when people are making the same mistakes that I made or they're making other mistakes, I just mm -hmm. look at it the same. And my desire is that somebody, as long as they got breath in their body, they would have an opportunity like I had an opportunity to change. So I don't look down on anybody and whatever help I can be, because I'd have different, you know, different guys that are like, man, yeah. you don't need to be helping them dudes. They they need to make it by themselves. And and I would have to, you know, I judge what I'm gonna say, what I'm gonna say. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to put them out there too much, but I say, well, check it. It's awfully funny. Didn't you just ask me some for some advice? Right, 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 right. Man. I'm saying that if you value my opinion, why you think they don't value my opinion? What I'm saying, when I'm looking at you tripping, slipping, and sometimes not upholding the code, that's why I look at them. Mm -hmm. So when I say I don't leave any man behind, I mean it's from the bottom of my heart. Even though I'm out here and I'm blessed to be out here, I will never forget some of the men that I've met because my life was changed. That's and, right. And I always tell them, they said, man, you're going to get out there and you forget us. And you go, I say, bro, check this out. Number one, I'm not writing everybody. I never told you I was. Right, but I right. tell you, every move that I make, every time I do something good, anytime somebody pats me on the back, anytime I get an award, anytime I go to a place, I make it a point. If they give me an opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. if it's within me being able to say it, Absolutely. I say the reason that I believe that I try to do everything or I do everything as an in excellence is because I want you to know there's more men just like me and some just of them never me. But yeah. the next time you're, you're passing a law, the next mm -hmm. time you're defending them, if you're a defense attorney, the next time that you're prosecuting them, because I speak to all these different individuals and I'll say, all I want you to have in your mind is everybody can change. Mm -hmm. And whether they change behind the walls or change when we get out, you're going to have more men get out. And when we get out, do you want us to be productive or do you right. want us to be angry? So the Absolutely. decisions that you're making, think about what you want in return because everybody's not going to stay locked up. That's right. Like what, 85, 95% of people locked up getting out. And so right. it, essentially this is really like it's a it's a public safety and a public health decision that these, these lawmakers are making when they make laws and rules that can help empower people who are behind the wall so that when they get out, they can be productive, as you said. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that, you know, most of the time when people find themselves going into prison, they're coming into prison from a pretty bad place. And then when they get out, they end up 
in many cases, even worse than when they went in, you know? And I, so totally, I, I totally agree with you. And that's one reason that to the best of my ability, I mean, I didn't, I didn't do everything right. And especially early on, but that was my belief. That was my belief that who says that prison has to be a place where I or you or us become worse instead of better because there's men. I said, bro, this is just like a city. And I said, we can make this city what we want it to be. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, I, I watch YouTube, I watch different things and, you know, different guys who have done time. A lot of the most popular artists are the war stores. And I'm saying the war stores are real. They're it's real. All like that. They don't help us move. But I would say this. Everybody in the confines of their bunk area, mm -hmm. when they're by themselves, nobody wants to stay at war. Mm -hmm. And so that's the motivation and mindset that I always had, no matter what I see on the outside. It's real. It's mm -hmm. going down. But I also know, bro, nobody, even a warrior, you don't want to be at war all the time. Mm -hmm. And you've got to understand that when you make a decision that's going to take you to a different place. And when that takes you to a different place, you don't know who's there. You don't know what's going on. I'm not questioning your manhood, but I'm questioning if ever you want peace, mm -hmm. you got to begin to make peace. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a, a big piece. Two things you talked about, you know, questioning manhood and making peace. And I think both of these are internal jobs, you know. So if we inside prison or we out here, it's internal in between our ears, inside ourselves. And so the biggest war, I think, is that war with oneself. You know, yeah. so we have to convince ourselves that we have to live differently. And part of living differently, I think, is really being able to redefine what it means to be a man because we've been led astray, run amok, you know, and, and really just um, um, given misinformation about what it means to be a man. And so in the penitentiary, as you know, it's a lot of hyper-masculinity, but even still here in the community, there's still a lot of hyper-masculinity. And I think all of this leads to bad decisions. Like uh, DMX once rapped, you know, bad decisions lead to last decisions, you know? And so I think that that's what happens. People make these bad decisions based on trying to um, protect their masculinity, protect their identity, protect their manhood, you know? That's that's definitely true. I, I remember a video we would see when we were locked up by, he's a gospel rapper named Seven. Mm. And he had a song, they lied to us. Mm. And basically it's going through the storyline of, okay, we recruited this dude, this dude put in work. Now this is what happens. And then another dude, he does the same thing, but he wakes up and he like, man, they lied to us, man. They said it was like this, but it's really like that. And yeah. the thing when you say about the hyper-masculinity, I totally agree. And a lot of times I find myself in conversations with people that that's all they see. And yeah. I'm saying, you're seeing correctly, meaning mm -hmm. there are, there's a lot of misguided mindsets concerning hyper-masculinity. But I want to take it a step deeper and say, then rather than put all the weight on the individuals, let's look at the systems that are in place. And I just want to you know, if I got a little time, I mean, real sure. How do you know when you enter a ghetto? Mm. How do you, I'm asking you, how do you know when you enter a ghetto, any city? Oh, you look at the landscape, look at the, the real estate. That's the first thing that 
I see the real estate. What's there? The condition of the houses? What kind of businesses are there? So literally, the government, the local government, whether they pick the trash up, whether they repair the streets, okay? Yep. Another neighborhood. And so my point, because we don't have much time, is to say a lot of times individuals are not reaping the benefits of systems that were supposedly put in place for the greater good. Absolutely. So here I am, a youth, and let's say my streets are banged up. Mm-hmm. But let's say you bust me across town, they, whoever the they is, they mm-hmm. streets don't look like my streets. So when I go back home, what does that do to my self-esteem? Absolutely. You know, I, I understand there are a lot of African-Americans who are able to articulate it a little bit better than me just to basically say, say all the black people, we spend our money on what we want, not what we need. Man, that's easy for you to say that. And I understand that that gets likes and clicks. But mm-hmm. to solve the problem, you have to look beyond the individual. That There are things that are put in place that we are socialized into that mm-hmm. nobody has to tell the average young black man in a lower income neighborhood that he's less than. Mm-hmm. It looks like that. We've been conditioned like that. And they know that. Absolutely. And it's so like- one individual, his priority is I want to get education to make money. Another individual's his is I want to survive. Yep. Man, it's gunfire. It's dogs. It's games. Yeah. And so I when that. I become all the things that I didn't like, I become that because my first rule is self-preservation. But on the outside, oh, that's just how they want to be. They just want to be loud and have their pants down. Yeah. Okay. What system perpetuated that? And that's where we need to have these conversations. I'm well, not saying it's not individual accountability. That system is an extension of white supremacy. Straight up and down. I don't care who likes it, who doesn't. You know, or who does or who doesn't like what I just said, but it's really an extension of white supremacy. You know, and white supremacy is this whole ideology of keeping other people subjected or subjugated to white folks, you know, through ideology, through economics, through housing, through education, keeping people subordinated. You know, so when, I, when you say that, my question is. How do you bring change? Mm, yeah. And and, 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 and and we may agree or not agree, but I remember in the 80s, yeah. the government worked together. Mm. I'm, people don't like the word compromise, but mm. I'm going to say this. You do it in your personal life. Why don't you think you're going to have to do that with other people? Absolutely. Don't do no compromise. Every individual, including myself, dealing with ourselves, not dealing with anyone else, we compromise. Whether it's I want something that's not good for me, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have that because it's not healthy. So you compromise because because mm-hmm. there's something in you that want it, and you like, no, I ain't gonna. Or I'm gonna take this to the Mojave this one time. Come on, say it again. Yeah, I'm gonna have this. I'm gonna take this risk, and I'm gonna have it one time. That thing that ain't good for me, it's still there a compromise. Go. And I so all, all, all I'm sharing is when we have these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not get on a side. Mm-hmm. It's realize the truth. Mm-hmm. Here's the truth. And the reason a lot of people can't receive a truth is because it comes off as they being attacked. 
Mm-hmm. Now that, you know, to a certain extent, that's that's personal. But to another extent, if I ask you a question such as, excuse me, do you think this is fair and equitable? Mm-hmm. And if you say it's fair and equitable, I can show you across the United States and the various cities that the statistics show you that this race of people, they always get the least amount of benefits and this race always gets the most. Can we talk numbers? So why and do people sharing is those conversations can bring change? Absolutely. However, I think those people that you talked about who are thinking that they're being attacked or respond defensively, they're trying to protect and preserve their dominance. They're trying to protect the support, uh, their, their superiority. Every, every system, people who are in the system, whatever system it is, mm-hmm. will fight to protect that system. To maintain power. Maintain power. Mm-hmm. But I'm also saying that the gatekeepers of those systems, the mm-hmm. people who I really know the concept behind this, this is where the dialogue needs to take place because Absolutely. if the system doesn't change, you can change mayors. Mm-hmm. You 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 can look at one neighborhood true. in America and say, well, this neighborhood is not like, that's the exception. I'm yes. telling you the, the general truth is there's suppression, there's oppression, and I want to have a conversation yes. to bring about a change. Yeah, I don't have to be the situation. Correct. You and so that's why I love shows like this just you hope someone sees it and it strikes a chord because yeah. more change will work behind closed doors and conversations where people's beliefs are challenged. Challenge, challenge with the idea to let me evolve you. Right. Versus you militant, I'm militant, we screaming. All I'm all I'm asking you at the end of the day, because I remember that movie and I might get the title wrong. But the guy played Martin Luther King and they were in the church and the young black dude was like, man, we need to fight. And you don't want to fight. You don't want to fight. It was the it was the the bright skin, the bright skin brother in the movie. Mm -hmm. And the other dude who's his dudes who had been down with that. He tells him, he said, look, man, he said, we're not getting anywhere like this. Yeah, yeah. He didn't tell him he was wrong. He was like, we're not getting anywhere like this. So let's try this. And then they show King and the little dude. And I forget who the little dude played, but he went on to do great exploits. Mm. What are you promoting, Sean? All I'm promoting is that conversations, the way that that young man arrived at that mentality was one-on-one conversations with Dr. King. And Mm. all I'm expressing is conversations, not newspapers, not cameras, but conversations with the same individuals who are in power oppressing. Yeah. That's that's just, you know, that's just a conversation. You know what I like to call those types of interactions? Because as you said, you know, we don't want to be have two militant voices in the room because we ain't getting away. We're just banging heads. But I like to call it a, a, a educational process, you know, mm. bringing some education to you. I'm enlightening you. And when I enlighten you, when I talk to you, maybe you'll start to develop some empathy, some understanding. You know, and then you might start to see the, the human need, the human toll, you know, because all of us are human. All of us have emotions. And I think at the core of, of who we are, no matter where we come from, what we believe in, we all share the same emotional package. And when you start touching into people's emotions, you know, I think that's when things start molding. That's when things I start totally, I totally agree. And what, what I would offer to you 
in the last 10 years, women have been being abused, mm -hmm. maligned, mm -hmm. overlooked, mm -hmm. mistreated. Mm -hmm. But why all of a sudden did the Me Too movement get, because there was a tipping point. Mm -hmm. And that tipping point is when the majority of people began to view the same actions that had been occurring for hundreds of years, they begin to view those actions as a different light because they begin to listen to the stories. Yeah, yeah. And that, and yo, I'm gonna tell you, you, you hit it on the head, stories. The closest or the shortest distance between two people is our stories. You know, when you start telling them stories, the details might be different, but if you listen closely, you're going to hear those emotional points. I felt, I felt, I thought, you know, and when people hear that, they're like, oh, yeah, I felt that way before, but something else made me feel like that. I thought like that before, but something else made me think like that. Oh, I couldn't imagine. And then, yeah, you start pulling at those heartstrings, man. You're right. You know, so, yeah, we have to share our stories. And this campaign that I'm about <laughs> Part of what we're doing is trying to get the stories, elicit the stories of men and women who've been in solitary confinement so that we can go to the lawmakers, bring their stories to them, you know, and try to get these laws changed so that long-term solitary confinement in our country can be, <clears throat> excuse me, abolished. And when you said that, when we had discussed off camera, I went to see, and I would suggest that everyone, when it comes to your city, go see the box. It was excellent. Mm. I'm I'm now I'm telling you from my years of incarceration, I worked say two and a half years. I worked death row for one and a half years, which was death row and SIG in the same building. When you say you worked it, talk about what kind of work you were doing. I did it since I worked. That means I cleaned up. That okay. means I cleaned up. And I'm gonna give you an example of something. When I first went back there, you have A, B, and C pods. On each pod, you have a section. You have six sections, a total of 84 men on a pod. So A pod, 84 men. B pod, 84. C pod, 84. So on and so forth. There were six of these on a building. And so the first day I went there, when I first opened the door, no exaggeration, I opened the door and the noise was deafening. The echoes, the noise was so deafening. My partner who was telling me, look, this is what's happening, man. I said, man, we got to step outside. I can't even hear you. He said, man, your ears got to get used to it. Imagine sleeping in an area like that. Can't even sleep. So man. the way that I chose to work solitaire was this. I came back the first day and a guy who had been working solitaire probably about five years, he was older guy. He said, look out, youngster, how, how'd it go? I said, man, it's so noisy. I don't even know what they're saying, bro. He said, well, you can do it two ways. He can say, you get in or you make your own way. And if somebody's watching, they don't understand what he was saying was, all the things that were going on before I got there, I could just slide in and just fit in or I can do me. But when you go into a situation where they're already doing things to be me, that means I have to be me every hour, every minute, every second back there. There's no slipping. 
That's and right. so what I did is I made up my mind, I want to go back there and help people. And so for me to go back there and help people, I'm going to have to establish a name for myself. You can't establish a name back there fighting. That's right. And the kind of name I wanted to establish, I didn't want to establish it for moving stuff. So I established it. I'd be on the runs cleaning up and I would sing songs. I can't sing, but I would sing songs. I wouldn't terror, terrorize their ears, but I yeah, sing man. songs. Man, what you singing? Man, that Christian stuff. I said, yep. Mm-hmm. One month after me staying consistent, because you know the drama is this. It's a lot of hustling that go on in solitaire because they don't have what they need. Absolutely. One man may have food, another man may not. Or one man, he can be in this cell, cell one, but it's a gang member in cell two and three. They're not gonna help him at all. They're gonna ignore him and look over him. So if he to try to get some help, how's he gonna get some help? He's gonna right. have to find somebody, which is usually the SSI, to be able to go get him some help. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sharing that to say I stayed consistent those years. Mm-hmm. And when death row came, it was the same thing, but it was a, a little bit different mm-hmm. because death row, they weren't loud. Mm-hmm. Death row, there's a whole different mindset. Yeah. And, yeah. When, I, and when I say that, I want to be careful when I use words. Mm-hmm. Solitaire was loud mm-hmm. and they're going to tell you what they're going to do. Right. Their fro is quiet. And you need to be aware of what they do. Mm. I said all that to say I met a majority of people who found themselves in SIG and their row after already having done something before and they cry wasn't heard. So they went ahead and escalated. And when mm. I say they cry, I'm just being as honest as I can. Some yes, people sir. don't get any attention unless they act out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some people see no help other than gangs or racial organizations. Mm -hmm. And so all of that brings men to solitaire. Yeah. If you are not, I'm going to say this, if you are mentally stable, just imagine noise all day long. It's going to cause you to destabilize. And one of the one of the worst things, and I found this out only after three months because where I was in the county jail, I didn't realize it until I went to trial and my mother hugged me. Mm-hmm. I had not been touched in a manner other than to be handcuffed. How about that? And that's real. And I was like, man. And mm-hmm. so in that skit, not to tell too much, mm-hmm. that comes out. Yeah. And somebody may be watching this. What you mean? Just imagine how many times you were touched throughout a day and then imagine three months of the only time somebody touches you they just touch you with some cold metal yeah it's a man it'll do something to you yeah 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 no intimacy no warm hugs no good handshake no pat on the back no kiss on the movies the movies will make you think okay they working out all the working out in the world all the notes all the reading books it mm-hmm. still cannot take the place of physical touch. That's right. That human scientists thing. will tell you without sunlight, absolutely, it affects your vision. Absolutely, and that impacts people who are in solitary as well. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I wanted to ask you, though, bro, is uh, what gave you the audacity to hope? What gave you the confidence to change your life, knowing you in there for twenty something years? My mother told me 
she said, baby, if you ever get in trouble and you can't find a way out and I can't help you, mm-hmm. you need to ask God. Mm-hmm. So before I got into any trouble, I'm down there hustling. I'm doing what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I feel good about what I do. I'm enjoying what I do. Mm-hmm. I came out the shower one night, dropped down on my knees, started crying. And I'm not high. I'm not drunk. My dog, they're licking my face. And I'm like, what is this? What am I crying about? Do I feel bad about something? Do I, I'm, not, I'm not feeling anything. I'm beyond feeling. And her voice came back to me. Mm. And so I said a prayer. I said, God, I sound very greedy and I hurt people. And there's no way I can stop without you stopping me. Mm. I'm going to fast forward to that night, 1993. He let me feel again. Mm. And when he let me feel again, I have a heart for the people who were where I was. Meaning because of decisions I made and things I allowed, I couldn't feel anymore. And I can be honest with you. I could be in the middle of a party, be over 2,000 people at the club, everything going down, and I'm lonely. Mm-hmm. And that's what motivates me to help people who were like me. And that motivates me to help people who they may not have been like me as far as their criminal activity, but they're like me like, man, I feel like I'm trapped inside of me. And no matter what I do, I can't get no peace. I can't get no joy. Mm-hmm. And it's like nobody can help me. And so I get my motivation when I tell my story or I'm listening. Cause you know, you can recognize different dudes and you feel what they're saying. And that right. and they'll be like, man, you understand. And I say, I understand. And if you never change, mm-hmm. all I'm telling you is I know how you feel, bro. And that's it, my motivation. Absolutely. And people need that, man, because people feel so alone and they feel so ashamed to be the way that they are. And they don't want to talk to other people because they feel even worse when they start sharing with people who don't understand. But when they talk to somebody who's been there, who've been to those same lows, or have somehow found them their way out of those lows, I think it definitely helps. We have to be role models to our brothers and sisters. Yeah. We have to be our brothers' keepers. That's the only way we're going to get better, you know, is if we see examples of other people who are like us, you know, who have gotten better. You know, like I tell people all the time, yeah, you know, I've come out of the penitentiary. I went to school. I've gotten degrees. I'm still that dude. I'm still that dude. I still think that way sometimes, feel that way sometimes, but I'm able to recognize it, you know, and I'm re- and I'm able to redirect it. So when I see the move, when I see the, or I get the feeling I want to hit somebody in the head or take something from somebody, I see it and I recognize it and I know how to redirect it, you know, and I want to try to help people do the same thing. So like you, part of my, my work is to help people. A lot of the stuff that I do is really about reaching back to the penitentiary, remembering those older guys who pulled me under their wings and said, come here, young blood. Here, take this book, read this book, write this paper, come talk to me, you know. Get knowledge of yourself. Understand who you are, you know, because you're going back out there and you can't be coming back in and you can't be going out there acting all crazy. But one of the things I wanted to ask before we get out of here too, bro, is if your journey could be encapsulated in a phrase or a title, what would that be? Decisions like doors take you places. Mm, decisions like doors take you places. Dope. And one other thing, I really like that, man. That's a really beautiful picture. If there's some young brother, some young sister listening or a family member of somebody listening, 
who their family member is incarcerated, maybe about to get out, what would be some wisdom that you could share with them? Any type of wisdom. Be patient. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you may see with your natural eyes, always know there's more going on. Mm. Now that may sound like a riddle, but what I'm saying, whether you see a smile, whether you see a frown, a person who has been incarcerated before, I'm telling you, for them to survive and have been released, mm -hmm. there's more going on. Mm -hmm. And if you begin to know that and talk to them on that level, like this is what you're showing me. I'm not saying you're being fake, but what else is going on? That's how a trust, a relationship can be developed where when they're having problems, Mm -hmm. they'll be more apt to talk to you because Absolutely. you understand and they mm -hmm. won't feel like they let you down or they, or they won't feel like they got to be Superman or Superwoman if it's a woman mm -hmm. in front of you. Yeah, I yeah, would yeah. like to say this. One thing that I've done because I respect the work that you do, I put together a decision-making course. If anybody's mm -hmm. interested in that decision-making course, it can be found on my website, which is www.opendoors.com to better. We all want better. www.opendoorstobetter.com and that decision-making course is called Stop. And I just want to equip you with some things that have helped me, like my brother said, recognize things and make better decisions. Mm, dope, man. Thank you for that, because that was the very next thing I was going to ask you. How can people reach you? They can mm. reach me through that website that has my contact information. I have something there where you can actually email me. I will respond because mm -hmm. I care. I tell people all the time, I haven't reached a point where I'm so busy, I can't return a phone call or email within 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brother Sean, this has been great, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I have to tell you, brother, I'm over here. I have goosebumps. Um, my eyes are watery just from talking to you. You have a very beautiful vibe, brother. You are a beautiful brother. So I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, sharing your wisdom, sharing your insights. And um, I'm just excited that we've had this opportunity to chop it up, man. Okay. And one thing I would like, I would like for you to visit, because I have a YouTube channel, but it can yeah. be found on the website too. But just what you're doing, I'm doing the same. And I would love for you to be a guest on that. Awesome. Well, let's make it happen, man. Okay. Let's All make right. it happen. All right. So, and that's a wrap. I really enjoyed talking to brother Sean Oliver. I thought he had some really great insights, very powerful, very exciting, very motivational. I hope you all enjoyed this interview. Peace. Hey, what's up, y'all? If you or someone you know would like to share their story of prison to promise, here on the Prison to Promise podcast, please hit me up with a quick email at drcraigwaleed at gmail.com. That's D-R-C-R-A-I-G-W-A-L-E-E-D at gmail.com. That's Dr. Craig lead at gmail.com. I love to hear from you. Peace.